If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified Seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. Hey everyone, this is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end-of-year fund drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. And today, drink. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes, and please reach out if you have any questions for me. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. So those of you that listen to this program even semi-regularly may have noticed I've started doing a sort of short format essay. So before we get into today's interview, um, I'll just get right into that. Today's is called Get a Passport. Get a passport, because if you don't have a passport, then you can't easily leave the country. This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. My children both have valid passports, and so if the shit really hits the fan, we can get out. I guess that means we'd be refugees. If we felt that things were really going in the shitter here, and moreover, if we felt that we weren't safe, then we can leave. As regular listeners know, I have a seven-year-old daughter. It's an amazing age. She's super smart, can read everything that we do. The other day, when she read something about the Japanese internment camps related to the proposed Muslim registry, I started explaining the internment camps to her. Of course, that led to talking about World War II and the Holocaust and those camps. And since we're Jewish, lapsed, of course, but I did have a bar mitzvah, she asked if that could happen again. My entire life I've been taught never to forget, and that of course that can't happen again. Except that here we are, in what some are comparing to what it was like in many places where you have a demagogue rising to power on a platform of hate and dishonesty. And so, for the first time in my adult life, I've started thinking about having an escape plan. We all watch zombie movies and television shows and wonder if we'd live. But in this version, it's real, and I wonder if we'd live. How do we make sure we can get out in time? Leave now? It all seems so new, and maybe it won't live up to the hype. We're still in a privileged position. We have passports, an apartment, a car, food. Some people don't have a choice. So if you do have a choice, make sure you have an escape plan. Today, episode 57 of Feast Your Ears. It's the final Feast Your Ears of 2016. Good riddance, I say, to this shitty year. Uh, I'm super glad to have Austin Hartman here. You may know Austin if you drink and eat at Montana's Trailhouse here in Bushwick, uh, or you may know him on the internet. You can find him on Instagram at Party Fartman. So thanks, Austin, for coming out. Thanks for having me. Um, your Instagram handle, um, of course, makes me think of The Simpsons. Uh, it just seems like, a you know, there's the whole, like, Bartman thing. Uh, and, of course, you're wearing a Ralph Wiggum T-shirt oh, yeah, today, <laughs> which, like, just sort of, like, it all kind of fits together for me it. somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, growing up, my nickname, my last name is Hartman, so 
easy play to make fun of me was fart man got it and so you just took that bull by the horns and yeah. put it right out there Fart for are funny. all of your former <laughs> former bullies um well uh you know austin i'm super i'm glad to have you here on the show um and really you know the one of the topics that we started talking about when we started talking about having you be my guest today is rum. So I think today's show is going to be a lot about rum. Um, Lovely. So let's talk about rum. I mean, you know, a lot of people I think who listen to Heritage Radio know know what rum is to a certain extent. Um, but can you just sort of, you know, if you meet someone at the bar, say, and you're mixing up a drink for them, and they say, well, I don't understand. What's the difference between light rum and dark rum and, you know, rum from the islands and, you know. Or just what is rum? Exactly. What is rum? I so, think it's still kind of a on a commercial level to the general populace kind of unknown they think mojitos and you know vacations and super sugary you know poolside drinks with so much stuff in it that gives them awful hangovers later right um rum breaking down (laughs) is a sugarcane distillate so you can have multiple versions iterations of sugarcane sugarcane juice sugarcane syrup and molasses which you'll probably most likely find in in rum not from France. Um, three styles traditionally, which we're not kind of seeing so much exactly to that anymore, but it's right. uh, French, British, or English, and Spanish. Hmm. Um, French, you're definitely going to have mostly sugarcane juice, and it's going to be thinner, more vegetal. Uh, English style, you're going to see molasses, uh, pot still most frequently, so you're going to see like bigger, bolder flavors, bigger body, and then Spanish style, which you'll see mostly a column still distillation method and it's going to kind of be in that middle perfect balance hmm. of those two does the difference between the french and the english have like were they were the french distilling like in situ where they were growing the cane and the english were making the molasses to ship home like does that you know what i mean i'm just trying to think of why the english went with molasses uh, i think part of it was on the islands that were english settlements like english colonies um they were Everywhere in the Caribbean was just producing so much sugar. Right. Um, and then once rebellion started happening and independence was gained, you know, there was lush lands of sugarcane. They were just doing different things once again in independence with that, that sugar. Got it. Um, and so, I mean, for you, do you have a favorite type? Like, do you prefer the French, the British, the Spanish style? Um, a huge, huge fan of high ester rum so pretty much anything from jamaica is going to have like kind of like more of those super funky dundry flavors to it i i'm kind of i love all rum but the more extreme of funkiness more weird yeasty flavors are awesome (laughs) so do you like your rums aged then in in you know in the sense of taking on color from a barrel and flavor from a barrel pretty indifferent i mean if it's rum i'll drink it for the most part (laughs) especially if i know where it's coming from and you know i Historically, a, a great distillery. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. And uh, you've you've visited a number of distilleries Le- earlier this year, right? You, uh, uh, almost, you went to yeah, last year, yeah, like last Thanksgiving. Went down with uh, ACR, which is a program that's a subdivision of Worspa, which is the West Indies uh, Rum and Spirits Producers Association. Uh, ACR stands for Authentic Caribbean Rum, and it's a marquee that is a collection of distillers in the Caribbean that kind of banded together to create a kind of a a rule set for what authentic Caribbean rum is. And what are those rules? Um, uh, distilling at a certain proof off the still, uh, age statements. So if there's an age statement on the bottle, it is the youngest rum hmm. in there. Um, 
there's a number of rules that they work together for it. No coloring or no sugars added. Caramel coloring is kind of for consistency, not for flavor. Sure. Um, and it's all kind of through a care form of those distillers working together, which is cool. Yeah, um, and and you know it, it's nice because I think that especially as we as we live, we were talking before the show, in a world where like there's so many spirits everywhere. I mean, there's rum being produced in Georgia now, and there's rum being produced in New York, and there's you know it's all over the place that the consumer going to the liquor store, going to the bar, they see a new label every day. Yeah. Right. So having some understanding when before, you know, 60, 70 years ago you go and there's like, how many rums were those Bacardi? Mm-hmm. Right. And that was probably pretty much it. I mean, like, I don't, you know, I don't know how many others are really that. You yeah, know. I mean, um, there was probably, a, there's a lot at that time, but how many were getting us import? Like how many, how much, how much access do we have to those rooms that were labeled and actually? Sure. I mean, this is a good, a good time to, I think, bring up the, uh, the story that I have to tell about rum in my family, which is, yes, there were other labels, but I don't think that regular people going to the liquor store knew, you know, the brands that my family was making. Right. Um, you know, my family history with rum is that my grandfather, also Harry Rosenblum, um, and his brothers started out as bootleggers in East New York and Canarsie, um, during prohibition and probably, you know, I, I, it's. I never knew him, so I, you know, I knew his brother Abe um, when I was very little. So I was too young to sort of, you know, sit at his hospital bedside and say, "Uncle Abe, tell me about the What's tell me about the old wrong? days." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me about when you were a bootlegger in Brooklyn. Um, but what I do know about the family history is that they were bootleggers and they were, you know, they were running rum, um, you know, uh, or other things, making gin in the bathtub or whatever, you know, they were doing. But that when prohibition ended, there was a tax credit that the U.S. government created for the Virgin Islands or for the Caribbean islands, I guess, also included Puerto Rico. Yeah, U.S. territories, I believe. Yeah, to spur industry. I mean, you know, just as now, jobs were an issue, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, on everybody's mind. And so they thought, well, how do we spur jobs? We need to get industry. What industry works in the Virgin Islands? You know, you weren't going to be making cars there, so you can make rum. And so they wanted people to come and be rum distillers. And, And I... To this day, don't understand. I, I wish I could put like the, the, there's a missing piece there. The missing link is like who knew that they were doing it illegally, and convinced them to leave New York, doing it illegally to do it legally, and in fact probably for better profits. Mm-hmm. I would imagine um, in the Virgin Islands. So my grandfather and his brothers um, moved to St. Thomas and opened a rum distillery. Um, now, of course, in this in the modern you know in the modern age of artisanal spirits and like really you know the food world that we live in everyone i said tell that story to is like oh that must have been amazing he must have been doing it by hand and this and that and the other thing. no my grandfather was making <laughs> as much money as possible taking crappy spirit that he bought from somebody else mm-hmm. i mean they had a still as i understand it but i think in large part their business was buying already distilled spirit from someone else and then coloring aging etc and selling it I mean, like we made this. yeah exactly i mean rebottling essentially yeah. as far as i understand it um he had a product called 12 kilts scotch type whiskey um which was not scotch and not whiskey particularly it's type exactly <laughs> um and he had a couple of brands of rum he had red bull uh rum was his brand toro rojo was his spanish version of that uh, brand yeah. <laughs> um and then he also had ron zorro which is probably the one that you know got you know, and, and all of those are at least at least red bull and uh actually i think all three of them were imported to the united states um, does your family have any bottles or history or no bottles i've never i've I've been trying to find one for years in my sort of search for like old booze um i've never found a an old bottle there was one that showed up on some you know drink bulletin board about 
10 years ago, and I tried to get in touch with the person when I found it, and I never heard back from them. They had like a half a bottle of Ron Zorro. Um, we do have a bunch of labels. You know, we oh, that's have, awesome. We have a, you know, my, my uncle has a beautiful, you know, probably three foot by four foot painting of Zorro, and that was, what, that was the painting my grandfather had that became the label. Oh wow! So I have a blow up of that of that label of the Ron Zorro rum label. Um, That's so cool. So, you know, so we definitely the the rum is in the family, but it's definitely different, I think, than a lot of the really great rum. Yeah, um, you brought something today. Yeah, if we're going to talk about rum, we yeah, might let's as well, might as well taste let's some. Try some. So yeah, why don't you talk about the bottle that you brought, and uh, yeah, I'll talk about the bottle that I brought. I cannot wait to try the bottle you brought. <laughs> uh, so today I brought uh, the real McCoy. It's a uh, Barbados rum from producer rum genius Richard Seal um, he also has Dorley's rum and Foursquare hmm. um, he in terms of rum he is a genius a purist and very vocal and a super nice guy uh, last year when I was down there met him at his distillery and he is very straightforward about everything that happens in his room what he does he's very open like to the whole process because um, I think that's kind of a movement that's happening in Rome right now is kind of uh, honesty, clarity to everything that's going on. Yeah. Because for so long it was just here's a rum product, but what is exactly <laughs> happening? Like how much right. sugar content is being added? Right. What's going on here? You say there's an eight on the bottle, but that doesn't mean an eight year rum. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, so kind of clarifying all that these days is kind of helping. I think the the category of rum. Become more into the light. Like yeah. The transparency of yeah. it all is kind of helping the consumer feel better about drinking it. And so which of the three styles is this one produced in? Uh, Barbados is going to be English style, okay. I think, but he does a blend, of a mix of column and pot stills. Got it. Um, but this one in particular is a limited run. Uh, it's a 12-year. It's both bourbon and Madeira cask rums blended together. Hmm. So it's not like a cask finish where you're going to see eight years in bourbon, then four years in Madeira cask. This is both being aged for 12 years in those particular casks and then blended together. And that aging was done in Barbados. Mm-hmm. So he, he made the distillate, got the old barrels, put the distilled liquor in it, and then blends it, blended it, and then sends it off. Cool. Yeah. Well, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Man, it's intense. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot going on. A lot the, going on. The thing I noticed most is when you poured it, the smell just like... Filled the, filled the studio in a way that, like, I feel like almost no other spirit. If you'd poured bourbon, if you'd, you know, obviously vodka like, gin, you don't really smell that. Yeah, you know, gin you can sometimes, but, but I feel like this had a real intense sort of smell. Yeah, highly aromatic. Uh, you're gonna get some baking spice on there. It's a little mm-hmm. what the what's the proof on this guy? Ninety two proof. So yeah, it's so coming it's a little hot. Yep. Um, and what's cool is you know some rums, which you're seeing a lot more these days, which he does as well with his Forsker label, is uh, doing cask finishes. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna get bourbon and then finishing a you know port or sherry or wine cask so you'll kind of have that be the last note or like a kind of predominant note what's nice about this blend is that it's both kind of like just swirling together you're not just getting one thing over the other right it's kind of this beautiful marriage of both those style of, of cask rums yeah absolutely um do you have a favorite rum cocktail daiquiri daiquiri always yeah. i will drink that all the time, every time. It's a go-to. I feel like when I think of drinking rum um, from my time as a kid, when we would go to the islands, when we'd go to St. Thomas or go to St. Croix or go to Tortola, um, I remember rum punch, of course, being like the thing Yeah. Um, you know that all the adults were drinking. I mean, as a kid, I didn't really 
I didn't get to drink it. I got to right. drink the punch without the rum. Oh, yeah, well, but, mom and dad are having this drink again. I don't yeah, know what it is, but exactly. But they're getting wasted. Yeah, <laughs> that was sort of what really on the, vacation. Uh, yeah, they were. They always had a good time. Yeah. Um, I mean, also, do you think we traveling in the Caribbean or like going down each kind of island or territory will probably have their preferred drink, right? Like their regional. So if you're if you're there, yeah, I'm gonna have what you're having. Yeah. So. Yeah, so on the tour that you did um, with the Authentic Caribbean Rum label, um, did you visit this distillery? Yeah, so uh, Foursquare, we went to Barbados, uh, Trinidad, Tobago, and Guyana. So on Barbados, we saw Foursquare, which is Richard Seals, yep. uh, Mount Gay, and St. Nicholas Abbey, hmm. which is this tiny like estate, something like this giant, beautiful mansion on it. And they produce very little, so we'll probably never see it in the States, but it's... Got it. They press their own sugar on site, make a sugar cane syrup, just to like 40 barrels a year. Don't quote Oh, wow. That. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's like most of their sales of rum comes from actual just tours of the yeah. on site distillery. Yeah. So did you did you bring some home? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I came back with a much heavier, heavier bag from that trip. Yeah. I, I remember the last time I was in St. Thomas, I brought back a bunch of booze and uh, one of the bottles broke. It's bound to it wasn't one that really ma- – I mean, it wasn't like it was a super rare thing. It just like, of course, my entire suitcase was like full of vodka. Yeah, yeah. soaked. But, yeah. you know, if you're traveling and collecting rum on trips and one breaks, you're just like, well, everything smells like rum now. Yeah. Remind, it reminds you. Of <laughs> <Yeah. the laughs> uh, well, I think we're about ready. We're going to take a, a short station break. But uh, when we come back, we will try a really old bottle of rum. That looks – it's just staring me in the face and I cannot wait. <laughs> And this one's called Old Brown Dog by the Hollows. We'll be right back. Welcome all you strangers to the great divide. New York chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified Seal. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State, certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified Program at certified.ny.gov. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and if you're just joining us, I have Austin Hartman in the studio with me today from Montana's Trailhouse, and we were talking about and tasting rum. Uh, I definitely think that... uh, I think I need to. I think we should have more cocktails on uh, feast your ears. It's a good way to good way to be on a Wednesday, yeah. and you know we're nearing the end of the year. It's sort of that that time. Festive, so, celebratory. Exactly. So before the break, um, we tasted the real McCoy twelve year uh, rum from Barbados uh, that Austin kindly brought into the studio for us to t- try and talk about. Um, I brought from a stash. I have a, a, a collection, or you know, collection might be a large, a big word for it. I have a couple. You know. 
six or seven antique bottles of booze ranging from gin to bourbon um, to a couple of liqueurs, Armagnac, some, some other weird stuff um, that I've picked up over the years in various places, um, a lot of estate sales. And one of the things that I had in that collection is a bottle of Bacardi from Cuba. So sold in New York, it's got a, you know American labeling, so it's got to be pre-59. I'm not exactly sure when uh, it's from, but there's a tiny little bit left in the bottle. So I brought it in so we could we could try and talk it. about it. Yeah. Can't, I mean, no promises. I, you know, it may, it may have turned to water. I you know, I mean, it's possible all the alcohol has evaporated out. I don't actually know. So let's pour it and check yeah. it out. It's, uh, yeah, it's not, not a lot in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a classic bottle. I haven't seen a, a modern bottle of Bacardi, but, uh, um, you know, still has the same. It has the, the bat on the, uh, on the label. I don't know what that's, uh, yeah, it, it product of Cuba. I yeah. mean, this is definitely. And on the back label, actually, if you want to read it, there's a, there's a cocktail recipe, which I, I like. I like the idea that they were including that for people. A jigger of Bacardi white label, the juice of half a lime, one teaspoon of sugar, and a shaker filled with ice. Shake well, strain, and serve. Ah, so super simple. Just yeah. sugary, rummy, limey. Made pretty much a daiquiri. <laughs> yeah, totally. But this is awesome. All I right, mean, it's still, it smells like rum. Definitely. I wonder what that sediment at the bottom of the bottle. I mean, I you know I'm I'm gonna guess it's actually pieces of the cork, having fallen in over time. Not gonna stop me. Oh man, it's like all the alcohol is gone. Yep, oh, that's so weird. That's very bizarre. Yeah, all the alcohol seems to have evaporated out of the bottle. The cork, it you know, to be fair, the cork is loose when I got it. So, huh? Light, but you can light taste sugar notes. Sugar, yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's like sugar water. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, I mean. In in modern rum, and I, you know, this is obviously older, and probably none of the people that made this are still alive. But you know, is there sugar added back in at the end? That is a interesting point. <laughs> uh, that part of that transparency I was talking about earlier is in in rum right now is the transparency of who is adding rum back into uh, sugar back into the rum. Got it. Um, some people do. Some a lot of people don't. Some people do and say they don't. Ah, okay. So if someone were going to do that, I mean, how much sugar? I mean, you know, this tastes like sugar water. It does. Tastes Tastes like like sugar water. So, I mean, there's no alcohol left in there, clearly, which makes sense that the alcohol would evaporate first. Yeah, over Um, 60 years old. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, who knows where it was stored? I mean, the place that I got it out of in the state cell, maybe it was on top of a radiator. I have no idea. Or maybe someone from the estate had a kid that was pulling some out of there and adding water back. That's an interesting point. I didn't even think about that. I never did that. No, no, me neither. No. Never. (laughs) The lightest, lightest bourbon you've ever seen was probably in my father's liquor cabinet when I was 16. Yeah. Um, I, not to name names, but there are certain distilleries. Uh, Similar to the one we just tried. Right. That do add sugar back to it. Um, and I think what's very cool now is that the growing trend of like rubber rum enthusiasts and kind of taking the time to dig through all this yeah. is a lot of people are doing uh, you know sugar tests and finding out how much or just finding the information of who is doing that or how much sugar is uh, additionally added right. to certain rums right um, I mean, is that something that when you are tasting or learning about different rums that you you look at personally? I mean, do you like take that into account of, in terms of how you feel about the quality of a rum? Or I think it's important. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's. <clears throat> Would you do the same with food? You know, if someone's adding stuff back into it and when they're claiming it's one thing and... Sure. Yeah. 
I think it's kind of a is it saying that it's bad? Not necessarily, but I think right. the information is it should be presented as transparency. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I guess then the question that I have because I've always thought about you know any kind of you know eighty proof liquor or above as the idea being that it's just that, right? I mean, you get into things that are you know liqueurs, aperitifs, or you know um, fortified wines, things like that that have all these other things in them. But I've always just sort of assumed when you see something that says eighty proof that it's just rum or just bourbon or just gin. And so, at what point? Like, does that change? I don't actually know. Like, when does that? Like, what what sugar level does something have to have before it gets labeled liqueur? Exact amount, I'm not sure, yeah. but I definitely know that some. I think I was reading like mostly out of India. Hmm. India is a huge market for spirits. Like, it's insane, and they're making from flavored liqueur or uh, whiskey flavored liqueur. Um, it's cheap. It's fast. Selling a lot of it, don't have time to truly make it or necessarily access to the sugar. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, some other places, not places, but distilleries or something will claim a spirit is one thing, but if you right. see whiskey liqueur or like your grandfather's exactly. Scotch, Scotch type, type whiskey, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of just the transparency of it, if you're going to yep. call it that, or as a consumer level, reading that and understanding what that means. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you know, I think that that's one of the something that has come up in the past couple of years with bourbon becoming so popular in the last 10, 15 years where the idea of like, well, how can they how could they have made so much to right. know that there was going to be all this demand? Right. Or, you know, the, the backlash against Maker's Mark when they wanted to drop to 80 proof so that they could extend their, you know, yeah. their what they had by 10 or 15 percent. And everybody went, you know, said, no, you can't do that. That's impossible. Yeah. Or just, you know, transparency of distilleries buying spirit from other people sure. but saying it's you know handcrafted we yeah. did it all of ourselves it's like wait a second you're yeah. producing x amount right and your story <laughs> is this tiny you'd no have to way. be running it like yeah. 30 hours a day yeah. how does that yeah. yeah totally um tell me about the bushwick industry collective oh yeah uh so the bushwick industry collective started i guess this is our first full year of it um myself and gareth howells who was formerly of forest point hmm. um he was running the beverage program there for a long time took over for Jude Dustin who's awesome um, but last summer in 2015 he started doing these classes for his staff and invited my staff to come over as well oh cool so at first it was just the, the two of us like our two staffs coming and like every other week or every once, once a month learning about spirits from industry professionals brand ambassadors because um, Gareth has a slew of connections to those folks and um, this year in the springtime, we're like, wait a second. That was awesome. That worked great. What if we do it again, but for everyone at Bushwick? So this year, we kind of really kind of ramped up and scheduled a lot of classes out. We just finished yesterday our ninth class cool. for the year. Um, each class being a different theme, a uh, different topic, multiple speakers. Um, and it was great. So it was like just for, well, it started out just for Bushwick industry residents or people that work in the neighborhood. And then it kind of just snowballed and be a little bigger. So we just opened the gates to anyone that wanted to come. Cool. Um, each class was at a different location. So people got to see maybe spots they wouldn't normally see, meet other people in the industry, and then taste and learn, which I think the hugest part of it. Um, going back to education and transparency and clarification. Yeah. Know, yesterday was uh, on sugarcane distillate. So we did cachaca, 
Uh, we did uh, botanicals, cask finishes, and home blending. Hmm. So we had an, an amazing lineup of amazing speakers. And aside from the rum class we did in August, this was kind of like more of a other other side of rum. Yeah, they would say. Yeah. That's awesome. And so that will be continuing in 2017. Yeah, I mean, this year was a great success for it. So, great. and we saw a lot of new faces come each class and and meet a lot of new people, see new spots. It was a lot of fun just to kind of see the community kind of grow together and kind of get nerdier and nerdier. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it's such a, I mean, it's such a deep topic, right? It's endless. I mean, it's endless, right? We can have a million classes yeah. <laughs> and, you know, sure we covered categories that would be the same, but still there's different stuff you could do every time. Right. Cause you couldn't possibly taste all of the yeah. sugarcane distillates in one class. You'd <laughs> yeah. be on the floor and you wouldn't remember anything. So, well, the one we did in, in August with, uh, El Dorado, Plantation Rum, Santa Teresa, and House of Agricole. Mm. I think, I mean, there was like 40 people that showed up for that class. Wow. But it was about 15, 16 different rums that we packed into about three hours of class. All right. And everybody went to work afterwards, right? Uh, I think a lot of days were pretty much over at the end of that class. It was, uh, it was a fun day. Yeah. Education is can be a lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> and I mean, do you find that with the with having a staff that's better educated, that you then end up with more adventurous patrons at the bar or in the restaurant? I mean, absolutely, because you have the opportunity to sort of explain what something what something is, rather than people just walking in and saying, "Oh yeah, I'll just have a Bacardi and Coke." Yeah, I mean, not to badmouth any brands, but we don't have Bacardi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think part of it, yeah, is, is having a staff, you know, whether it be food or drink that is excited about what you're making or what they're into at the time. I think it's easy for someone behind the bar or on the floor to get the customers excited about it. Right. You know, we have uh, a trellis and a fourth point other spots in, in the neighborhood and have a really amazing spirit selection. Like, yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff being made right now. Yeah, absolutely. And then if, you know, the staff is into it or jiving on it it's so easy to be like oh customer i'm super excited about this new thing and you should definitely try it even though it doesn't make any sense to you right now by the end you're going to be talking about it um if you could choose if someone came to you and said you know i want to buy a bottle for a friend um can you give me like what is the like the unicorn bottle of rum that like money is no object that you would point them towards and what is like mm-hmm. the everyday standard like you know I mean, like, I guess the only equivalent I can think of is, like, you know, if someone comes to me and they're like, oh, I just need, like, a regular bourbon that's relatively cheap. I'm like, well, just buy, like, regular Four Roses. Like, yeah. that's, you know, it's relatively inexpensive, but it totally, you can drink it on its own. You can put it in Manhattan. Like, it's fine. That's kind of a heavy question. Um, starting, I would say, like, the, the quick go-to. Um, any kind of, like, aged island varietals from plantation rum. Uh and that kind of gives a, a nice range of, if you know your friend or family member well. Sure. Uh, they do They do an amazing 2001 uh, Trinidad. They do a Barbados and a Jamaican. Oh, Single cool. island varietals. So, you know, if it was me, I'd like, give me the Jamaican rum. Right. The Barbados is great. Trinidad's awesome, too. Right. But there's something for everybody, because yeah. we recently ran a flight at the Trail House with all three of those. Mm. Um, and you definitely saw people being like, I like this one. Or, you sure. Know, so feeling it out, but that's a good option there. Uh, the unicorn, I would say the middle ground too. If you yeah, want something sure. a little more elevated, yep. El Dorado Fifteen is probably my favorite. Cool. It's something that's not going anywhere, and it's so delicious. And I could, and that's from Guyana. I could just have it all the time. Uh, the unicorn. 
That's a heavy question. There's, I have so many in my collection. I was like, which one is? I look at it and was like, which one is my unicorn in right. here? Uh, St. Nicholas Abbey, if you can get it right. from Barbados. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that sounds like such a special product. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's like, cool, I have to go to Barbados soon because this bottle's getting kind of low. <laughs> um, but there's just so much interesting stuff, rare runs and, and, and small pressings or, or bottles that are so fantastic. And you get it and you're like, cool, this is going to be here until it's gone. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that my I'm sorry that the old bottle I brought didn't you know it it, it had, there was a lot of buildup and it, but it was a fun be, adventure. but it was interesting right? yeah it was a fun experiment and now we know that back then they were adding sugar yeah <laughs> which you wouldn't have known otherwise yeah. I don't think um, well Austin it's been a real pleasure um, having you on the show yeah, thank we're, you for having me we're just about out of time um, but I just want to make sure we make mention of where people can find you so a lot of different places on Instagram at uh, Party Fartman uh, mm-hmm. play on your last name at yep. <laughs> uh, Ready Player Rum. Yes. Uh, at Montana's Trailhouse and at Trailhouse Party 3. Tell me about that real quick. Uh, Trailhouse Party 3 is kind of like our our staff, fun, schizophrenic, Instagram, DJ events, uh, cool. fun pictures of us working. All right. Um, also, though, this Friday we're doing at the Trailhouse a fundraiser for the Women in Need Shelters of Brooklyn. Um, so $1 from every bud or shot of Fernet sold will go to those those gals oh wow that, that's that foundation that's really cool i think and that's gonna be all night long definitely check that out and uh on the web montana's trailhouse.com uh readyplayerrum.com and i really love your twitter handle i hope that i haven't I, I don't use twitter that much but i feel like it should get me back there which is potus of party correct which i really think is uh you know we we really like we could use some levity around potus i think yeah i mean it, it's funny about that twitter because i was not really into it and then i started just making humoristic jokes about drinking and drinking culture and then once someone won the presidency i just started just kind of harshing on them yeah so that's cool. been fun all right awesome yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely check it out well please do thanks everybody for listening to feast your ears uh this is the last episode of 2016 so uh you'll have to listen to uh reruns for uh, the next couple of weeks while you're celebrating with your family when you've had enough of arguing about politics with your family feast your ears will always be here for you um well over 50 episodes for you to listen to yeah, it's 59 uh today was 50 hold on i gotta look because i don't remember 57. 57, that's 57 episodes. Um, So episode 58 will be uh, coming in the new year, early 2017. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to David Tattashore for engineering the show. Uh, You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes or Stitcher or, I don't know, you can, I guess, Carrier Pigeon. I'm not sure how people are getting (laughs) their uh, podcast these days. Follow me on Instagram at TheFoodBaller. And uh, good night, 2016. Yeah, see you next year. for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.